Everything don't need to be addressed The pull-ups like a FedEx truck I can send some niggas round there right now 1-800-CALL-MY-BLUFF Wake your ass up where you rest On time like an Amazon truck I can send some niggas round there right now 1-800-CALL-MY-BLUFF Buffalo shrimp from Mahimas Coke deals upstairs at the Ramada The ocean from hotels was popular And crack was a minted phenomenon What's going on everybody? It's your boy Jordan And this is Desmond And welcome to episode 111 of Two Black Nerds That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds We appreciate that, love y'all And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at Two Black Nerds.com. Go check out our Nerds of the Night collection inspired by the Batman. We got t-shirts, crew neck hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the new Viking epic from director Robert Eggers, The Northman. Plus, we'll discuss and react to the two most recent episodes of Atlanta on FX. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast on the music side of things with the review of Pusha T's fourth studio album, It's Almost Dry. So we know that this is the follow-up album for artist Pusha T following his 2018 release of Daytona, a musical release that was widely, widely acclaimed. It was certainly considered one of the best hip-hop releases of that year, if not the best rap album that we did get in 2018. And it's been quite a while since we've gotten new Pusha T music. It's been about four years here, and he's finally returned to the studio to make a brand new album. He spent pretty much the entire pandemic actually putting this together. And we also know over the past few weeks that this was going to be coming really soon here because he was prepping you know the release with all of these different singles a lot of different interviews things of that nature coming back into the limelight i know we both got a chance to go ahead and listen to this musical project we know we're both really big push t fans here and this is something that we've been waiting on so i'm gonna just throw it over to you man what'd you think about it's almost dry yeah bro of course you know it's almost dry is very anticipated for both of us uh push t the one and only is here and back i think with another um as of right now, I'm going to call it an unconfirmed classic. I just need to hear it from more mouths. That's all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, man, this dude, I think he, he's, he always knows his audience. Um, and he always knows himself more than anything. And, and even then, no matter his audience, he always remains himself in the things uh, that he wants to do um, and, the, and the music that he wants to produce, man. So he literally went out inside, uh, of course, the the – the hands in in talent and in a Pharrell and a yay and said, I need y'all to help me executive produce this thing, man, and, and, and carry out enough of a vision for me to to have another amazing album, man. It's only 12 tracks, which I like a lot. People still today are just having way too long albums. Even a lot of my favorite artists, man, I'm like, just shorten it just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. and I, Yeah, and I think Push is, 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 he understands now, I think, the how powerful a shorter album can be, a 12-track album can be, as short as Daytona is, with like seven tracks. I think he, he just gets um, how, how you can concentrate as an artist and give us some of the best tracks um, that you can give in that short amount of time, man. Um, but uh, again, saying who executive produced it, clearly I love the production, Pharrell and Ye. We're going crazy here, man. But even more than that was just Push, I think, solidifying again 
what it means to just have bars. There's, it doesn't have to be too complicated. It doesn't have to be, I don't know, stuff going over your head all the time. We just love wordplay and entendres and uh, honestly, the hood of it all. Uh, one of the things about Push is, of course, he does talk about the drug game a lot, but that's not the only thing he talks about, right? His, his subject mm-hmm. matter always expands to, you know, several subjects. Um, and so, I, you know, here he is again, I think, with another, uh, again, telling us more stories about different problems and stunting at the same time, man. Most people heard neck or wrist. That's literally nothing but a stunt track, um, if I ever heard one. But um, again, there are, there are tracks in here like rock and roll that I love the sound of, right? Where you get a, a like a Beyonce one plus one sample in it, you know, and, and, and it just, and it turns into something different. Um, and he shows that he can exist on all of those kind of different tracks um, than he has before, man. So um, I'll pass it over to you. It's, freaking amazing i still have more listening to do to see where it fits in a lot of different kind of lists of course you know i'm a playlist maker but i'm also i love ranking my albums at the end of the year and stuff um but again so far it's april 25th as we're recording this and it's easily uh i think my favorite hip-hop album of the year so far um there's again there's a lot more to come out as we talked about last week a lot of artists still have to be had but man this is in my mind, what I call a, a great start. And I know it's April, but this is a great start to the year. And I, I can't see it being bumped at a top five um, of the year, uh, again, as where we stand currently. I think that this is a fantastic body of work. Pusha T continues to just really put in so much time and effort and thought into releasing these standalone projects that exist on their own, that he really, again, puts a lot of time and attention towards. And one of the things that I like the most about this project is just kind of like how he's talked about it, just his process and working and how he actually arrives at these creative projects and these creative runs that he has and what what determines whether or not he wants to put out new music. And he's never been the type of artist to drop stuff every single year or every six months like even mm. back during the days of the clips like they only released albums every few years like every three years was kind of their average mm. that was that was known and that was obviously a lot more commonplace in the early and mid 2000s now things have changed so drastically where artists are dropping songs all the time and, and not not even focusing on projects they really just kind of focus on songs and maybe song packages or playlists whatever the case may be um, but push has never really strayed away from his bread and butter and I think that I like that the most about him because he's retained that he knows his audience he knows his style and he also knows what what works best for him as, as a musician mm-hmm. and as an artist and his process and the fact that he decided to really take the pandemic to just like work on this on this new album and that he didn't have to really be rushed into putting this out because like since we were all at home for such a long time you could kind of just like move along at your own pace at at whatever that needed to be and he didn't have the time um or he didn't have the 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 pressure to be rushed by a particular date or by the label he could just really focus on what he wanted to achieve with this project and obviously the big talk of it has been the Kanye West and the Pharrell piece of it the fact that they have you know two different halves of the album there is 12 songs as you mentioned Mm -hmm. pharrell produces six of them kanye produces six of them so you're getting two of the most prolific and celebrated hip-hop producers ever just going head to head with their with their different beat making abilities their creative processes and just how that all unfolds for an artist like Pusha t who really is one of the most exquisite one of the most 
achieved and one of the most respected rappers that we have, especially when it comes to lyrics. And I mean, you put you put those things together, you know, one of the best lyricists with two of the best producers that we've mm-hmm. ever gotten. And I mean, you're bound to get something that's going to be at least above average. Like right. it might not be a masterpiece, <laughs> but you're you're expecting something that's going to be good. Like I, I, right. I don't think anybody comes into this listening to it thinking that it's going to be a flop. That would be a huge surprise. But thankfully, it's not. It's almost dry. Really, is a fantastic album. I'm having so much fun just listening to it. I've you know spun it back so many times because it is so short. It's about 36 minutes long, and I think that uh, one of the things that's interesting is that you look at an album like Daytona, which is seven tracks, 21 minutes long. I think that that's you know certainly a, a classic at this point. You know, a, a, a near masterpiece when you're talking about a rap album. And that's probably because I mean, there's just not there's not any there's not any room for for compromises or mistakes on seven tracks. Like you got to get in and get out. That mm-hmm. you got to give literally all your heat. Like that's all you got room <laughs> for. There cannot be no bullshitting. And this one, I think that I can probably confidently say that it might not be as good as Daytona, but I mm-hmm. think that that's only because you probably do have a little bit of extra wiggle room for maybe one or two tracks, mm-hmm. which might throw off the balance just a little bit, not yeah. tremendously. I don't think there's a single bad song on their album. There's some songs that aren't my favorite that I might not listen to as much as others, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's a single bad track by any stretch of the imagination. You can do so much worse. Um, and, you know, ultimately, getting these two producers to come on this, Kanye West and Pharrell, who you know these are also people he's worked with for almost his entire career there's chemistry there's a natural bond that they all have that makes it work as well and i think that back and forth competitive spirit that you have between kaya and pharrell is just it's tremendous and push has talked about in interviews like on the breakfast club or high 97 like he would get a track from pharrell he would go play it for kaya and kaya is like wait that's what y'all doing down in florida like that's the music y'all putting together and he got to come back with the response you know to do something that's a little bit more impressive that's a little bit better that stuff is great you know when you have these two people sort of going back and forth in hip-hop um and you know the last thing that i'll just say before we talk about maybe some of our favorite tracks is that uh it's also important that we recognize like pusha is also one of the only rappers who can comfort comfortably pull out a whole feature and just like go back in that bag and say like oh i need to get hove on this on this album because he can say (laughs) things that i can't say everybody don't got that type of pool and so even going to the features that are that are on the album outside of the producers having people like hove having people like even don tolliver a little uzi like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff was really cool to have like these new artists coming in um contributing to this project and you know really bringing their own flavor and their own styles to it so Overall, I think it's really, really solid. It's really good. I think it'll, by the end of the year, end up in in, in one of my most listened to and one of my favorite projects of the year. There is a lot to come, but I, I'm, I'm confident, you know, that Pusha, Pusha always, like anytime he, put, he puts out an album in whatever year it is, it always ends up as being one of my favorite, if not my favorite projects of that year. So I, I have no doubt that that'll probably be the same case here with this Almost Dry. So I'm just, I'm yeah. loving it, you know, and I'm going to continue to listen to it. Any standout tracks for you? Like any, you know, particular, particular songs that, that have, you know, gotten a little bit, gotten a few more spins than maybe some of the other ones on the album have for you? Yeah, man, outside the singles, first of all, I, I do have to say he did a great job in the timing of releasing these singles, I think where a lot of people like to release a single and the album doesn't come out for months. And then by the time mm-hmm. the album comes out, the single is now skippable on the album. 
where like here the, the, there's enough time where it's like oh no of course i'm gonna still listen to that song <laughs> you know what i mean in order of the album so i wish more people did that i will say that i like that about this um yeah people release your singles a l- just a little bit before the album comes out you don't don't be like silk sonic <laughs> where the oh my the God. single comes out and then the album comes out like, like five seven months six later. months later yeah don't do that um so yeah i really enjoyed that about it but um i will say again outside the singles i really like call my bluff still uh yeah call my bluff is crazy oh. to me i really like tracks where like there is no feature a lot of times where i'm just like yeah. i just like to hear push spit um so i like call my bluff um but uh i really do like rock and roll too yay and cuddy man i think it's I, I love the way it's produced i love the way it sounds um also i do also like um brambleton is a good mm-hmm. song yep. yeah i think brambleton great. yeah it's it's it, it really is good man um i was like i mean you got to get the people in right like you got to got to get the people ready so i thought that was that was also very well done um, and then I was actually very surprised uh, that Uzi and Don Tolliver showed up um, the way they did on um, what song is that? Uh, Scrape it off. Yeah. Not, and it's not it's not that they didn't show up. It's that you don't think Pusha T would rap with Uzi and Don Tolliver. Maybe Don Tolliver because he's like a hook god. <laughs> but right. like in, in terms of like like I don't know, just Uzi Don Tolliver, and then you like Pusha T. Is on here too. Like, what are you talking about? But it, it it it's still a good track. I was like, dang, I actually like this song. Um, so I was surprised about that too. So those, those a couple stand out for me. Um, that's not the the singles. Yeah, yeah. When I was listening to it and I saw he had Uzi and Don Tolliver, I, I I had a similar reaction. Like, I was very shocked because you just would not expect that from Push. And I do like the song as well. I think to my point about like somewhat, and I don't think it's a compromise. That might just be the wrong word, but mm-hmm. the flexibility, like this type of track would not have been on Daytona. Cause right. again, like that, that exactly. is seven track album. And he has like only so much time to get a- across the points that he needs to get across. Like there's no opportunity for waste of space here. The fact that he's using 12 tracks, I think that gives him the opportunity to maybe throw in something that's a little bit different. That's a little bit unexpected, which mm-hmm. is actually, I think that's a good thing. I think that that ultimately helps out the music um, for me. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like you said, the singles are always great for sure. That's why, you know, he put those out so confidently and, you know, I think that they've been rocking out for sure. Um, I really, really, really like dreaming of the past. Mm-hmm. That song is just like, it, it's great for me. I'm loving that right now, especially that sample. Um, Let the smoker shine the coop that shit that beat is ridiculous he had the line in there about cocaine's dr dr seuss and i'm just like what the fuck like what is going on here and he put up that 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 image on instagram last night which was really hilarious you know he just has a lot of stuff like that that's really Mm -hmm. it's really memeable and it's really like gifable like you can take these these lyrics because he is so he's so illustrative in the way he speaks like you could take these lyrics and kind of paint a picture like yeah. he, he has hbo tweeting about him now you know pulling out the the the, the night king lyric that he did um but them two back to back are just kind of crazy and i have to agree with you call my bluff um, yeah that that pharrell production it, it's like pharrell's whole production style on this album is really haunting and mm-hmm. i think it, 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 a lot of it calls back to the earlier days of like the neptunes and the clips and how they used to work mm, together and yep. the types of beats and stuff that they used to produce for them like it really it really reminded me of that era so i really liked everything you know that that, that came out of that sound um the last thing i, I gotta ask you because i mean it's hip-hop and it's a competition mm-hmm. whose beats were better kanye pharrell who who, mm. who wins the album from that perspective for you or or i can even you know maybe pivot to this like who do you think wins this this album overall because like you got push's lyrics which are always just fire and scathing 
You got Pharrell's production, and he's coming in and doing some really, really great and impressive work, getting to the real nitty-gritty, grimy hip-hop stuff. And then you got Kanye kind of dipping back into his old-school bag, too, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing in a lot of those samples, a lot of the sped-up, old-school-sounding samples and stuff like that. It really really reminded me, like, oh, if Kanye wants to do this producing shit and be serious about it and he really want to be on his hip-hop... Like he can do it, and it kind of pisses me off when he kind of chooses not to. Um, but when he when he wants to, and he can he can work and get that competitive edge back to him, he can. So I mean, out, out of out of out of everybody really showing up on this project, you know who who stands out for you above above everybody else? Yeah, man. Of course, Push just wins the album just off of <laughs> the things that he he know he needed to do when he came in. Um, and again, you already said it, kind of how Daytona he doesn't get to to experience. Uh, to experiment as much on a Daytona right you come in with seven tracks you got to do what you got to do but I, I just love how we like just puts out his leg a little bit you know kind of touch t- touch and test the waters um on some of these new sounds on the album man it is so hard to tell who did what better production wise because on one hand you have like a diet coke man and it's like yeah you did what on this song <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did what on this song and then it's like neck and wrist where you like for real bro like what is uh, like like what is really happening here man you were just talking about dreaming of the past i was just talking about um rock and roll those above yay tracks man but then we were also just talking about um uh, just so you remember man which is uh, just another, i don't know man it's hard this is it's, it's, yeah it's it's, it's really it, it, hard production wise yeah, I, you know, when I first listened to it, uh, I think all things considered, because we had heard like three of the tracks, we had heard Hear Me Clearly, Neck and Wrist, and um, Diet Coke. So off of the first listen, I think we had heard, we had heard less of the Pharrell tracks, I think, I could be very wrong about that. So like, his production jumped out me, it jumped out at me more on the first listen, but as I mm-hmm. am going back and replaying it, like I, I'm, I am noticing that some of those Kanye tracks are sort of entering the more the more replayable tracks for me at this point. So yeah, it, it's it's almost an impossible question. It, it, I think it just kind of depends on either your preference or just even how you're feeling at a, at a, at a yeah, certain your time mood. of day, right? Yeah, and your <laughs> mood, like where you are. Um, I, but I will say it's something. I think something about the Pharrell of of this particular album. He like I think, I think I that agree. that process, yeah, I think that that process and what they went through and probably what they were trying to achieve, like it fe- it feels a little closer to push in terms of what I guess what I was expecting. Um, but that's not a knock on Kanye at all. I mean, Kanye did do Daytona, which you know we're we're talking about here in such a such high regard. So if he if he gets edged out by Pharrell on this one, I'm not gonna be mad at that at all. Like Pharrell's one of the greatest, but I think right now Pharrell's songs kind of edge it out a little bit for me. But that'll that'll probably change i mean come yeah, on I think like I that, agree right that's now, just though. yeah it's just such a it's such a crazy situation for any of these artists to be in the fact that they're all getting to work together at the same time so it's incredible but uh yeah i think we've said everything we can on this album those are our thoughts on push the t's for a studio album it's almost dry if you've listened to this new project from him definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it let's go ahead and transition and talk about some movies we got a movie to review this week the brand new film from director robert eggers the northman oh. Behold, he's here. He's here. Mother, father is here. The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set, and you cannot escape it. 
Thank you, Father. My King. Now, as I mentioned, this movie is directed by Robert Eggers and it's written by Sean and Robert Eggers and it's starring Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clay Spang, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. So Robert Eggers is most notable for directing two feature films entitled The Witch and The Lighthouse. Both films we've seen, I know that we both really, really enjoy The Witch. We've talked about it on this podcast, not in a review capacity, but it's been one of the more referenced horror films (laughs) of -hmm. the past few years for sure because of just what it did for the genre. It sort of helped usher in this new elevated horror era that we're sort of living in. I don't really like that word, but we'll call it what it is. Um, And then he also did The Lighthouse a few years ago with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, a very bizarre and strange film, which I actually really, really enjoyed and love it. But I know it's certainly it's certainly an acquired taste because it's just so different than everything out there. Um, And Robert Mm -hmm. Eggers is a director. He's just he's different. He's just not like anybody else. He makes he makes really small films uh, up until this point, at least. He makes a lot of period pieces. He doesn't really do anything that's modern. He likes to go back and tell previous histories and things of that nature and the northman is his biggest film yet it has the biggest budget i think the reported budget is between somewhere between 75 and 90 million maybe even 100 million um and he also shifted distributors he's now with a24 which he did those previous two films with he's actually with focus features which is under universal this time so even a new a new studio partner for him and he's getting in some some really notable talent like like nicole kidman and anya taylor joy which he also helped discover with the witch that was like her second Mm -hmm. movie um but this is this is a big movie for him. This is his third outing, so I'm gonna go ahead and pass it over to you with all that context out of the way, man. What did you think about the Northman? Man, to be honest, I want to go watch it again. Um, the Northman was a lot of fun for me, um, especially in a theater capacity. Uh, man, 
I, I like Robert Eggers so much. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like thinking I need to go back and watch The Lighthouse because I just remember like, man, I just was looking for more out of The Lighthouse. It was just a little too cryptic for me. The story was a little too like, man, what are we talking about here? But I loved everything else about it. I think I did love. I can still love the direction, right? I still love the way it was shot. Of course, I love the the performances and something like The Lighthouse. Um, and it's something about the Northman that, as of right now, again, I want to go back and watch The Lighthouse. That I was just like, I love how it's in between an A24 film like The Witch in in, in The Lighthouse, but it's also not quite uh, Hollywood either. It's like right in between. It really, that's what it feels like when you're watching it, man. And Robert Eggers gets a chance to kind of take this budget and, and, and do some things that he hasn't done before or that he wasn't able to do before, again, because of this budget. And, you know, The Northman at its core does follow a very simple and basic revenge story right and i think that that is one of the things about it that i think i end up liking a little bit and even because even though we've seen and heard this story before i think it gave a chance for robert eggers to do some different things when it came to to um again just viking lore and in inaccuracies and and um and things like that while watching it because we were just talking about recently how there was so much viking content right and i'm like okay the Northman's going to come out. Am I going to like it? Because I've been in this Viking world for so long. And it it's crazy because I actually like it because it leaned into all the things that I was talking about before that was coming out. I felt like while watching the movie, I was playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I feel like there was some God of War stuff in it. You know, there was even like animations from Assassin's Creed um, that me and my boy was talking about, you know, after we had watched it. It was like, dang, I love all of this stuff um, that's coming out of this film. Um so I will say I, I did not expect um, as much action to be in, in this film as it actually was. That actually caught me off guard. Um, so I was actually very pres presently surprised, pleasantly surprised, surprised to see that. Um, and I, I thought the action was very well done. My very small nitpick in the action piece uh, was probably just a, I wish there was a little more ruthlessness in terms of blood. Sometimes uh some something will will get hit by an axe but the camera will turn that way you don't like see the entire thing completely i wish they just leaned into it a little bit more of course we did go get some of those brutal moments but i was like mm, you could have gave us that moment too and that would have made it uh just as good if not better in those moments um at bro performance wise i said alex Scar scars guard was out here killing it doing things with his body <laughs> just the way he walked that is insane like he really took this seriously um he was not kidding <laughs> when when he did this um i will say that there was a part of the film where um I, as i told you this is not a story that we hadn't seen before there was a part in the film that did slow down for me and i was like man i wish there was something in the plot to keep me in it just a little bit and that thing kind of was there was a, a nicole kibben performance in there that like kind of reeled me back in a little bit and i was like okay i i we're, we're back again and so i nicole kibben killed it where she could you know she didn't have too too much to do but i think she did show up where she needed to show up also wish anya taylor joy just had a slightly more, you know, she 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 also served as um, somewhat of a conduit for the story, which we just had a little bit more out of her, even though we, did, we got a decent amount from her. But I just like her so much. I was like, mm, give me like one more Anya Taylor-Joy something and, and I'm good here. Um, so I wish I, I hope for that, too. But, man, I, I had a blast again in the theater with this movie. One of the things I do like about Robert Eggers is he spends time on the the mythos and the lore of the worlds that he has and he tries to make them historically accurate as possible um he did that with the witch 
the lighthouse and again here we are with another period piece in the northman man where it's like the dialect is accurate the the way things are lit right there's like a several scenes with like fire in this movie where it's like you know that's accurate and even though it, it may not be actually lit from fire that's what it looked like you know what I mean? like that's all i need to see because that's exactly how it would be lit um last thing i'll say is there's, there's some stuff in here that's trippy that i didn't know what was happening in the movie at certain points in time but it, like at the same time as confused as i was um it was also so beautiful because this movie's just so well shot man that it was like uh man my eyes were wide the entire movie like it, it that's how good it looked it, certain things that were framed that i didn't expect to be framed and that just remained accurate too like it was beauty in just shooting it rather than beauty and like let's put these clouds over here through cgi or let's put this sun over here from cgi so i i i really enjoyed the cinematography a lot um that's another reason i really want to go see it again is just to, just how beautiful it was but also how ridiculous the action is in this movie it's literally a bunch of men just like yelling for no reason <laughs> um but i that's what i like about it um and some people will want more out of this film but not for me I'm good with that. Just yell at the screen and go fight shit, and I'm good. Um, and that's what this movie gave me, man. So I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah, and and I, can, I actually can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, as I said, I think that this is probably going to be the closest he ever gets to making like a entertaining popcorn blockbuster movie. Uh, most of his films up until this point have very much been smaller, smaller indie films, budgets of like maybe $5 million. And he's also always had Final Cut on his movies, which he did not have this time in, in working with the studio on a bigger budget. So he had to change his process a little bit. He actually had to be a little bit more collaborative. They had to do test screenings for this movie, which is something he had never done before. And he's openly talked about that that's not his favorite thing, but it has been useful to some extent. And I think it's just interesting to hear him talk in interviews because he's incredibly, incredibly hard on himself, but also of other people's work. Like he's he has a very high bar um, because he he's one of the few filmmakers. And I think this is what makes him fascinating that he has visions in his head and he he sees things. And his ultimate goal is to get them as close to that on the screen as possible. Like he wants to execute his vision exactly the way that he sees it and I think that that level of thoroughness is what makes him stand you know kind of head and shoulders above a lot of his contemporaries mm -hmm. because of that that level of research that he does you know go through and he, and he puts himself through to get that accuracy on point to get everything you know up to speed in, in, in the way that it needs to be and he's also not been shy about the fact that it, it is a very popular moment for the stuff that we're seeing with like Vikings and the media mm -hmm. the video games he's even talked about the MCU and what they've done with Thor and all of that stuff the Vikings television series on history that ran for yeah. like nine seasons so he's he's been very open about the fact that like this was the time to do it because there's actually there's an audience for it and i think that uh him coming into this new era and you know sort of pivoting from what he's done before because the witch is like telling a a a, a 17th century new england story and then the lighthouse is set in like 1890 in new england so mm -hmm. two different time periods but in a similar location here he's going into completely new territory and he kills it. He absolutely kills it. I think that he's able to perfectly tell something of like a classic fable, mm -hmm. but then still make it accessible for people who would want to go see this type of film. And because he does have a bigger budget at his disposal, I think he's able to reach new levels of grandiosity and 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 and, and these other ideas that he's wanted to achieve that he couldn't quite he couldn't quite achieve in his earlier films because they are somewhat restricted. Um, it's brought out the best creativity in him, I think. But I think that you know now that he has like this larger canvas, he could just do things that that just weren't available to him before. Mm -hmm. And because this is like a Viking story. 
it demands a certain level of scale. You know, you can't tell something like this really mm-hmm. with a $1 million budget. Like, you need that scale. You need the money behind it. And I think this movie is completely, it's able to deliver upon that in almost every way. It's bloody. It's super visceral. And it's almost like, it's like a muscular type of filmmaking. Like, he, <laughs> he knows that this is like, this is supposed to be just fueled with toxic masculinity, <laughs> gruesomeness, violence and it is about revenge which ultimately i think by the end of it no spoilers but i think by the end of it you see like the idea and the thought of revenge and vengeance as as concepts are kind of empty and hollow like what Mm -hmm. do they really mean what are they really for when that objective may have been achieved right and and there's just so many there's so many ideas and themes within the story but then even just like the filmmaking techniques that he that he that he that he incorporates here like you mentioned the performances i think across the board are great everybody here is just like stepping up to the plate tremendously especially alex skarsgård i mean i honestly he looks like he's juicing in this movie he's so big (laughs) he's so he's so swole in this movie it's actually like his traps are unreal they're unreal like you have to see i don't i the the the, the diet and the and the and the regiment that he had to undergo i just can't even imagine it I, I did read somewhere that he was consuming like 3700 calories a day he had to eat every 2 hours like that must have just been miserable but he was <laughs> he was completely committed to this role to be able to you know bring that physicality of like what a what a viking mm-hmm. soldier and gladiator would be in that particular time especially because he, he he had to be so physical in the performance um and and i do think that this is this is probably the best nicole kidman working in in some years at least mm-hmm. like i really liked her in big little lies like she was tremendous in that show but in terms of like a movie i don't know the last time she's been this good because even with her somewhat smaller storyline it's not small but i in terms of screen time it's a little bit smaller um what she's able to accomplish is just like it's it's fascinating and it's it's just it's crazy to see unfold and it actually it really caught me off guard there was a twist in there that i totally did not expect and did not see coming Mm -hmm. um and lastly what i'll just say is that some of the sequences here are tremendous in the earlier part of the film, there's a long tracking shot that's presented as a wonder. It's like a raid of a Slavic village. Oh, my God. That part of the whole movie, it might have peaked there because it was just so well executed yeah. and it looks so gorgeous. And then there's a fight at a volcano. I mean, what the fuck else could you want? There's literally a fight between Vikings at a volcano. Like, that stuff is tremendous. Yes. Um, you know, but the only... The only criticisms I have would not be really that different than what you said. Mm-hmm. There's some really surrealist moments here and like some I think some 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 points where they're presenting some visual iconography that isn't really about story per se. Mm-hmm. It's kind of I think it's kind of meant to either be meditative or maybe it's meant to be like reflections of like what the main character is thinking. I don't really know, but it's 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 a little bit abstract, mm-hmm. right? And some of those moments kind of pulled it out for me, pulled me out of the movie, I would say. Um, but I do think that the story is strong enough. Um, you just might have trouble figuring out what's exactly real, what's presented as a vision. There might be some supernatural stuff here. I don't think any of that's like that clear. Um, and I wonder if that might have been because of, you know, some of the collaboration between him and the studio, you know, he didn't have final cut on this movie. So maybe, maybe there were some things cut out that would have provided maybe some extra context that we, you know, that we didn't get access to in this Mm -hmm. particular time. But overall, I think that this is a fantastic film. It's certainly great in the movie theaters. Like when I went to go see it, people were cheering. It was almost like a Marvel movie. Like you had people clapping and cheering and like yelling. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect this, especially not at a Robert Eggers movie. Like usually people are sitting there stunned and they don't know what to say. But this, this was, this was 
was very enjoyable. Um, what I want to quickly ask you before we move on, he's already said that he's not he's not making any modern movies. Like he's not interested <laughs> in telling any sort of modern story at all. He he plans to tell more period pieces, more historical stories and that's a lot a lot of that is due to the fact that he enjoys the research you know and really diving into specific eras what would you want to see him tackle next like what Mm. what era if any you know would you like to see him tackle he's like i said in his first two movies he kind of focused on things within new england and stuff like that and and telling those older style of, of stories and then he's transitioned to like a viking story here is there any point in history that you would be interested to see him tackle next you know potentially you know sort of take upon that we might not have seen before or maybe that calls back to like another genre of film that's like sort of maybe died out because historical films aren't that popular anymore mm-hmm. i don't think so there might be something that he can bring back to the forefront man what an amazing question I, i'm actually not sure what what's so good about the movies that he makes i think is the the small weird concentrated very specific you know, circumstances that his characters are always in. It's like, these are two characters at a lighthouse. How can I make this good? You know? And it's like, man, that is very specific. And then the witch is like, oh yeah, we have these, uh, these people that live on a farm. How can I make this interesting? You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. That's like a really hard question because it's such random pockets. I think of, of the world and, and of historic things. I think that you have to find, maybe there is something in a, I have no idea. Some some weird uh, war adjacent nineteen something. You know, you know, somebody two mm-hmm. three people are stuck in this bunker. How can we turn this into a horror film? Like, I have no idea. Like, I I'm, I'm like because he doesn't want to do anything modern, like you said. How does what is his next psyche to put somebody in in somewhere that they've never been before? That's where I think is good about these movies. Um, in in and again, even in all the viking content (laughs) that we've gotten this still does a very good job of like letting you see things that you kind of still haven't seen even in in the viking sense um especially not on the big screen again the things we were talking about with tv shows and video games movie wise i'm over here thinking like well this might be my viking movie you know what i mean it's like now he's the one that's giving that to us so it's like i'm not sure how he can do that again um just again in a different way in a different pocket i'm not sure but i'm i'm interested yeah, I think that's a smart point. Like, even though these are like historical pieces, he is finding these very isolated, smaller, very specific stories to tell. They're not telling these grand, epic, sweeping stories about an entire era per se. It's really about one or two characters. And what I did love about this movie, too, is it actually kind of reminded me of The Revenant because with that film, another period piece, it starts really massive and it starts really big. But then over time, as the, as the movie progresses, the story gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's really Mm -hmm. just about two people because that's also a revenge film. Right. Mm -hmm. So he, he's, he's able to maintain that, that level of intimacy, even though like this Viking story is on a bit, bit of a bigger Mm -hmm. campus. Like he still, he still keeps it small to, to, to an extent. What I would like to see him tackle. And I don't know if he would be interested in this because, we have gotten like some of this, like not really recently, but still like somewhat recently where I think people would rem- remember, but I don't know, man, I feel like he could be good for like a pirate type of story. Mm. Like do something with like the pirate era because they've often just been presented as kind of campy and silly. Mm-hmm. And I-, I think that there's certainly like a violent bent and edge that he can take that we haven't seen probably in a long time, at least I know that there's been stories like that before, but 
you know, I think when you really read about pirates and like what they represent and who they were, like those are not like great people per se. They did some terrific, terrible shit. And I think with his with his style of filmmaking and his sensibilities, he could probably do something really, really interesting there. But I, you know, I don't know if he'll be interested in that. Like a lot of his stuff has been. A lot of his stuff, again, has been like set in New England, which is like actually where he grew up. So he has a he has a strong connection to that. And then he goes to Iceland to tell this, you know, Icelandic <laughs> yeah. Viking story. Mm-hmm. It's just random. You know, I don't know if he's interested in doing stuff within like the Caribbean and like vis- visiting that place ge- ge- uh, geographically within his films. Uh, but maybe he is. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see like what era mm-hmm. he goes to next, because like I like you said, I, I don't think it'll be it's not going to be trying to tell the story of a group of people or a particular era. It's going to tell the story of maybe a couple of people set against the backdrop of whatever, whatever that specific maybe, time period is. But um, maybe, yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like a, like a Jack the Ripper weird story, you know? And like, okay, you like, you yeah. like focus on like one or two victims of the Jack, Jack the Ripper, you know, kind of, kind of story. Um, and then it's like, he's like doing a slasher, but like, you know, I don't know. I feel like, yeah. I feel like he could, it's it's a period piece as he wants. It can be isolated as he wants, and it's still New England. Like I feel like he could he could make something really cool out of that. So that's maybe that's an idea. That would be really really cool actually, and to see him try to go into like somewhat slasher territory, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, like murder mystery style slasher territory. That I mean, come on, get, I'd give it to me now. I'll, I'll watch <laughs> it. Um, he he's really one of the the most talented filmmakers working, and he's only thirty eight, so he has a I think he has a tremendous career um, ahead of him. So. We'll see. We'll see what he does next. But those are our thoughts on Robert Eggers, The Northman. If you've checked out this film in theaters, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. Let's shift gears and talk about TV and catch up with Atlanta, which we've just gotten the two most recent episodes, episodes five and six over the past couple of weeks. We've been reviewing these sort of, you know, biweekly at this point. So I want to go ahead and just like have a conversation about the two most recent episodes of the series that we've gotten. Um, Let's start off with episode five, Mm -hmm. which was entitled Cancer Attack. It was directed once again by Hiro Mirai, and it was also written by Jamal Alouri. And so, again, this came out a couple of weeks ago. It was off of the heels of the big payback episode, which we talked about a few weeks ago, which was, you know, somewhat of, again, uh, a standalone anthology style type of story, which they've been leaning more into this season, um, telling the story of what it was like if reparations were a real thing. And we had a big, big conversation about that, which was really, really fun. But Cancer Attack brings brings us back to our primary characters where we're sort of reset here again with Al, Ern, and Darius, mm-hmm. um, and they're actually in Budapest. They're on a tour stop for Al's tour in Europe, and they're at Budapest at a show, um, and they're pretty much setting up and getting ready for that show, but pretty much this entire episode surrounds the events of Al's phone getting stolen. Somebody has stolen his cell phone. He doesn't know who it is. They have suspicions, but they don't know exactly who it is, and then it turns out the person that they suspect is not exactly the one who did it anyway. Um, but before we get into like the details of it and talk a little bit more in depth about this episode and the characters and what they went through, um, generally, what would you think about Cancer Attack, especially coming off of you know that, that, that anthology-style episode that we got a few weeks ago? Yeah, man, it was fine. Um, it was like very straightforward forward episode <laughs> to be honest so it's not like we have too 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 much to talk about i really review here um but i i, I do think it, it is interesting the different kind of topics that atlanta is trying to tackle this season again going back and forth from that anthology and then back to our story um kind of you know um episode here but yeah but i think you know what the episode um was trying to tackle is you know something that is definitely interesting, um, but I think the, the the format of the show isn't going to work for mm-hmm. everybody right now either. 
I have been seeing talks kind of online, like, I don't know about this season of Atlanta. And I think it is because that back and forth, kind of what's going on. People do want to, you know, latch on to one story versus latching on to the entire, or to, to you know, these anthology episodes. Um, but again, so far, I, I like presenting ideas and then kind of figuring out how our protagonists or, you know, the people we're following kind of are conquering these ideas um, in Atlanta. So again, this, this episode was fine for me. It wasn't. Probably not my favorite of the season, of course, but I didn't dislike it at all. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, it it was cool. It was a cool episode. I think I think what stands out the most for me is that it felt it felt like it was actually planting seeds for things that we won't see pay off immediately. I think they'll probably circle back to them later on in mm-hmm. the season, which I'll touch on a little bit later when we get into the details. But yeah, it was cool. It was. I do think that it was actually um, kind of funnier than a lot of the other episodes. Like there were some mm. genuine comedic yeah. moments that just like made me laugh. And that was probably the biggest strength. But in terms of like the story that it was telling, as you said, it was it was a pretty ordinary story, though it had moments and flashes of like real importance in terms of like some of the stuff that might happen to the characters and where it might actually be taking them. Um, but let's talk about some of the specific details. It goes without saying, if you haven't seen these episodes, we're going to spoil them. So you should probably pause this and watch them and come back. We're going to spoil this episode and episode six. Um, but with episode five, Cancer Attack, as I said, the main premise of it is that Al's phone has gotten stolen. They're backstage at the tour stop in Budapest. They're trying to figure out who stole the phone. And the guy that they suspect is his name is Wiley, um, played by Samuel um, Blinken. And he's a super fan of Paperboy. He was at the show. He was backstage. He's related to, like, the the venue manager. He's, like, the nephew of the venue manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was backstage. And then all of a sudden he left the show. And the crew, Paperboy, Earn, Darius, they kind of suspect that maybe he's the one that walked off with the phone because he was backstage and then he just kind of vanished out of nowhere. So it seems like he would have motive to take this phone. And then they bring him back and a big piece of this episode is them, you know, sort of interrogating him. Even even Earn and Al are playing like good cop, bad cop to try to get information out of him. And we're starting to see a little bit more about this Wiley character. Like what what what's his intentions? What's his motivation here? And we're still kind of confused about it all because we don't know who he is. But we find out a lot of stuff from him and, and we find out that he's a musician. He is a big fan of Paperboy, which is why he was at the show. He idolizes him. They share the same birthday, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot in common. And he he's kind of taken this moment to be seen and to be to be recognized, mm-hmm. at least by Paperboy, by this person that he kind of idolizes. Um, and, and then ultimately, by the end of the episode, we see that Wiley was not the person that stole the phone. In fact, it was Socks, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, who for whatever reason, is stolen the phone. We don't really know why. It's kind of unclear, but they show at the end of the episode that he takes out the phone from his pocket and he throws it away. He doesn't even hold on to it. He just completely disregards of it and then gets on the tour bus and leaves with them. Didn't even know he was he was going to be in this episode. I didn't know we were going to circle back to the Sox character, especially <laughs> so fast after um, what we saw mm-hmm. in episode three at the mansion, but he was here along for the ride. But um, yeah, man, just uh, want to hear your thoughts on the whole Wiley character that was introduced here and his interaction with Earn and Paperboy and what that all meant for this episode and some of the things that they tried to, I guess that they tried to unpack with this character. Yeah, man, it's so weird. Everything that was going on here. I think, you know, Hero Mirai has kind of been the the underrated piece of really this entire show. We I don't think people talk about him enough um, because as simple as this episode was, it's still amazing to look at. <laughs> You're just like, man, they're just in this 
kind of spur of the moment interrogation room, but it still looks good, you know. Um, so I, I, I think that's pretty cool. But you know, this this dude, Wiley, man, uh, he was so such a strange character to kind of come across. And I think it does um, kind of give people a sense of what some celebrities go through when they're meeting these people. Like, mm. like why are the, it, one side of you has to have. Um, I think trust issues as a celebrity, right? When it comes to meeting a fan, because it's like, bro, if you're you're a super fan, and all things are pointing to you to steal in this phone, <laughs> so like, I need you to really legit tell me the truth. But again, it's because you don't know this person, um, and and you do feel like they're trying to get it to you for whatever reason. Which again, in Wiley's case, there there, there was some some. You know, uh, he did want to talk to Paperboy. He did want to have that one-on-one moment with him, but it wasn't the stealing of the phone that got him there. And so, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, it's it's also very so interesting, especially because again, Hero Mirai directs it this way to make it to make us believe like, bro, this dude definitely stole his phone. Like the yeah. whole time, I was like, he's gonna pull it out at the end. Is he gonna sing this song and be like, uh, here's your phone, Paperboy? And then Paperboy wasn't supposed to kill him. Like I'm just like. He even <laughs> you know knew his mean? number. He said his number out loud in front of Paperboy. He knew his number. He knew lyrics from unreleased songs right. somehow that were only on his phone. That's still not really answered. This dude got leaks that haven't been leaked. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's 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 just really interesting um, play. I think on when you do become famous and you do and and there does become again some kind of altercation where that puts you. Um, in in the way that you also look at the people that are quote unquote not famous or quote under you, you know, in in, in some sense, it's like, man, what? Okay, what is is it's one thing to like think your inspiration uh, means something to someone, but it's another thing for them to kind of harp on that inspiration, you know, mm-hmm. and and for them to use that inspiration to get what they want to from you as a celebrity. I don't know it's it's just a really hard thing, um, and I think that's what this episode was trying to say like uh like no nah, this dude's loki actually pretty innocent and what he's doing is uh uh actually supposed to be adorable i guess at its core but like the 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 celebrity of it all you stole paperboy's phone of it all is kind of it, it made everyone sketchy and i think that that again just speaks to the culture of what it means again to be a celebrity and for you to kind of be on that pedestal one of the things that I was super curious about as the season started that they hadn't directly addressed up until this point, and I think what they did in this episode was really clever because they didn't say it verbatim or out loud or didn't spell it out for us exactly, but I was wondering how big exactly is Paperboy? Like, how popular mm-hmm. is he really? Like, we knew right. in Atlanta, everybody knew who he was because he was like a local sort of phenomenon. He was really popular there. Now that he's in Europe, he is touring, but what's the scale of this? How far does his celebrity and his status go? And I think that this episode does a great job of indicating that because in reality, if Paperboy, if Paperboy was like a legit superstar, right? Like a, like one of the biggest names mm-hmm. in the world, there's not any situation in which he would actually be dealing with this himself. He would have a team of people that Mm -hmm. would be able to nip this in the bud probably really, really quickly for him. But it's so interesting that a lot of this episode is him and Earn really trying to figure this out, like on their own, like the artist and the manager directly are calling Wiley. And like the fact that Earn is on the phone with Wiley, like, yeah, you know, can you just come back? And I think Wiley immediately he suspected, like, Mm -hmm. why are you calling a random fan to come back to meet 
this famous rapper. And it just goes to show the fact that they actually have to do this dirty work themselves. It shows that like they've made it. They have some money. They have mm-hmm. some notoriety for sure. But they they aren't on a, a certain type of level because if Rihanna's phone got stolen at a show, I mean, oh, there, yeah. would, there would be like a team of. 10 people who'd be able to like <laughs> quickly find out what the fuck's going on there. There wouldn't be any yeah. questions. You know what I'm saying? So um, I found that really interesting. And again, it wasn't spelled out exactly, but I think that was one thing that was kind of unsaid that, that, that was communicated to me. And then Wiley himself, I mean, it's also, it goes to show that, you know, even in this situation, Wiley's able to throw them off their game so many times. Like he, because he is like, he's the suspect in the situation, but then he turns out to not actually be the culprit. He throws them off at so many points, like the fact that he is giving off this information that would appear as if he has the phone, the phone number and the leak tracks and stuff. And then he even like he questioned Earn's like blackness at that one point where he 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 looked at him and said, like, oh, you don't have the same accent as him, you know, the same southern dialect. And he said, were you told as a child that you talk white and it must have made you feel separate? And it's it's a moment like that where I don't think inherently anything is wrong with asking that but in that moment that feels like donald glover is kind of wrestling with something that he's probably dealt with in real life i'm sure people have questioned mm-hmm. donald glover's blackness and all of this type of stuff because he is he's a unique person you know he does things yeah. differently and he, you know he comes from a different background but um he he, he wiley's just kind of he's constantly throwing him off and then he, pull, he pulls out the guitar and he's playing that song for paperboy you can see visibly like al is getting emotional he's actually getting wrapped up into like what he's singing but I think at the end of it, you know, Wiley kind of said it himself. Some people just want to be seen and they'll kind of do whatever it takes to get that and to, mm-hmm. you know, have that level of that level of notoriety sort of imparted upon them. And that's really, I think, what it was. He just wanted as a fan, he just wanted to be noticed and have that moment with Paperboy. And then he was done. It was it was over for him. Um, and that, that was that, that was all super interesting. Um, his uncle is trash because <laughs> His uncle knew nothing about him. Like, this is supposed to be your nephew, and he couldn't give up anything. And he thought he was 19 the entire time. And Wiley's like, I'm 32. And I don't know what the uncle's math was because he was like, oh, yeah, I saw him 15 years ago, but that wouldn't make him 32. It absolutely would make him 32. If he was 19 (laughs) when you saw him, that would make him 34 if it was 15 years ago. Like, that stuff was really funny to me. Um, But again, like I said, Sox is the guy who stole the phone. What is his deal? That's what I really want to know. Like, why does he steal the phone? Why is he even with them, if we're being honest? Like, we, we we saw them at the end of episode three. He was in that Uber when they left out, mm-hmm. the, you know, the mansion um, of, of Fernando. But, like, why is he even there? And, you know, what what's his deal? Like, I, I'm just kind of curious. And, again, I think they'll probably circle back to this. But what's the reason for him taking the phone and then throwing away, uh, throwing away the phone at the end there? Yeah, it's definitely, again, the, the biggest question of it all is what does socks really have going on what is his actual agenda i remember in the episode where he was introduced um he was saying he was like rihanna's something rihanna's i don't know her entourage somehow for a a a period of time and so he he is we we suspect that he has some kind of experience when it comes to touring and being on the road and things like that but it just feels like he's kind of hitched after, you know, meeting our crew, he's kind of hitched onto them as like the token white boy, you know, in the crew. And it's like, dude, what? why are you really here, Sox? Like, what are you doing? What is your ulterior motive? And it's really hard to figure out, to be honest. It's so open that I don't even have a, have a guess or an answer for you right now. Part of it does feel sabotage a little bit um, mm-hmm. by, the, by the way that this phone thing goes. It's like, why would you try to do that? Um, but, man, this dude was really wilding because we almost heard him say the n-word um oh yeah 
and very uh very loudly <laughs> and aggressively. So it's like it part of me felt like he he kind of wants Paperboy to go off and do something to him a little bit to destroy him. Um again, that's just kind of what it feels like right now, especially in the beginning, although his his energy was technically placed in a good place mm-hmm. <laughs> when when he was talking about you know trying to defend Darius with the whole racist comments thing coming from from the um the Asian girl but it, it yeah I don't know man it's just all very weird weird it's like he he now has his intro and now we're starting to see the real colors of socks I think it's also I think he's there to also show how um somebody like socks who feels like a hipster white boy wears a beanie he, t- he talks the talk can somewhat latch onto the the backs of what is black culture and what is somebody like Paperboy. um because when he's in the room nobody really pays attention to him he can be a gecko on the wall nobody really asks any questions that's another reason i think he's there it's like well He's a cool white dude. It's not like we have to pay him or anything. I don't know. Like I don't know why why he's there or how he's getting money to stay there. But he just, he, I, I, it just feels like that's kind of why he's there to show that he can be there. Versus like if this was a black dude, he would have got kicked out so long ago, <laughs> or like you know what I mean, or like this dude would have been thrown out. But again, because because it is socks, um, this this random white dude who fits in that they he's just kind of around, um, and, and and that's how it goes. Yeah, it, it is hard to tell because at certain moments he presents himself as kind of an idiot. He'll be on the phone threatening Wiley, talking about mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the white Liam Neeson. And <laughs> I think collectively we were all like, what? Liam Neeson <laughs> is white, fucker? Like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, so he presents himself as kind of a doofus. But then you have something like this where it seems so orchestrated, where he takes his phone he goes along with the ruse of of them interrogating Wiley and and almost you know joining up to point fingers at this at this innocent guy and then he's ultimately the one responsible and as you said like it does kind of seem like maybe somewhat of a sabotage because what we did find out that is important is that this phone is actually really really important to Al it's not just the phone that can be easily replaced he had that monologue in the middle of that conversation with Wiley talking about the fact that he hasn't written any new material in seven months. He's mm-hmm. super uninspired. He doesn't have anything coming to him. He doesn't even know his voice anymore. And then we find out even more about his character in that he he, he wasn't even interested in being a rapper. That's not something he really liked. He just kind of did it. And now he feels stuck. He can't do anything else. So now he's just like pigeonholed into being a rapper but on this tour and at a performance he was able to find some inspiration and he wrote it down in the phone but now the phone is gone and so he feels like if i lose this phone i may never be able to tap back into that that creative spirit again which would mean doom for him and his career because it's all about what's next and what's the hottest stuff as a hip-hop artist and so does does socks know that is he aware of that stuff and then another part of me was like well was he just mad because earlier in the episode at the beginning he asked if they wanted to go to the strip club and Paperboy and Darius clowned him. They were like, what? No, we're not going to a, 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 a strip club in Budapest. Like, no, we're not doing that. It's silly. So I'm like, well, is he just kind of upset that they they brushed him off for his plans that he was trying to suggest? It's hard to tell, but I do think that that's going to come back up later at some point. We're going to have to get some sort of clarity on it, I think, at mm-hmm. least. Um, and, and the last thing I'll just say, and one thing I'm kind of curious about with clarity, there was a small moment in the episode, but it was I think it was an important moment. That brief conversation between Al and and uh earn before the show before they even realized that the phone was stolen and al was trying to just like check in on earn and see how he was doing he was asking him you know how's it going you know we haven't really talked earn's like yeah i've been busy you know but it's like good to be busy i've been you know managing all of this 
and he kind of just brushed him off. He went to do something else and like help stage manage. And it just kind of spoke to that that relationship, that tension that still exists between Ern and Al, but it's like an unspoken thing that they have going on. I, I just I don't know where it all goes, but a part of me a part of me kind of feels like that by the end of this, and we were wondering this, like where does this end off leading into the final season? A part of me is wondering is if by the end of this tour, whenever it concludes, like, will this group be kind of kind of separated more more separated than we've ever really seen them before? Will there be some sort of will there be some sort of rift between the people amongst this like this main quartet, Ern, Al, Darius and Van because of just like all this tension that sort of exists specifically with Ern at the middle? That's kind of what I was thinking about as I as I left out of this episode. Yeah, it's really hard to tell, man, what exactly the, the what direction you know they're really going with this relationship because even though sometimes they do have again these weird moments where you're not sure if they're going to keep them together or pull them apart or they you know they have these moments where it's like Aaron what are you doing or you know the there's this clear separation between manager and cousin there's all there's always I don't know something small that happens where it's like no nah, this is my cousin and this is my boy and it's still my manager and they kind of pull it back together you know yeah. kind of it's kind of how it feels and kind of how it happens um, and we'll talk about the next episode but it even feels like like man they're cool again or I don't know just like even this True. even this episode Ern is like fighting for this dude's phone you know um, and even though it does is very much uh, managerial it still does feel like bro like bro where my cousin phone at like what's going on here you know it's like it's like come on man so i don't know it, i still can't tell um and and i think they're playing with that idea on purpose and i'm not sure which direction they'll take so yeah we'll i will see i need it we'll, I, maybe the next two episodes will be a little bit more clear about what they're trying to do there yeah well with that said let's talk about episode six which was entitled white fashion so this episode just came out this past week it was written and directed by ibra ake and this is definitely an interesting one with uh certainly a lot more thematically resonant ideas presented um this one is actually set in london so they have made it to london now and the the essential premise of this is that a uh sort of a luxury style brand um that that incorporates streetwear into their lineup they're called esco esco um they're they're now embroiled in a controversy which is race related um and now they're they're wanting the needs of paperboy to to help bail them out of this pr nightmare which this is very much reflective of real life we've seen situations mm-hmm. with fashion brands where they fuck and you know just they 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 shit the bed we've seen it with h&m and other people you know other places that have just like done stuff that's racially insensitive or they just you know whatever like stuff happens um but now they're utilizing paperboard they want to utilize paperboard to try to get them out of this mess that they're in um and again i think this kind of speaks to the idea of like paperboard and his status like although the prior episode episode five shows like he still has to do a lot of the the handiwork himself this one is like well he does have like some some you know semblance of status because he's important enough to be like the face of a campaign potentially um but ultimately this brand esco esco they just released a signature item which is a uh central park five style sports jersey and then they have a five in the in the spot where like a number goes on the jersey and then even on the front of the jersey is an image of a raccoon so it's I mean, it's problematic in every way possible. It's it's really it's really trash. Like it's it's blatant. It's supposed to be blatant. Um, but again, they're trying to get they're trying to get uh, Al to, to to help out with this and 
you know, participate in this in this diversity, this diversity sort of hearing and then also this press conference to speak to these people. Um, but then there's also like a couple of like subplots that happen here happens here that we'll talk about. There's some stuff with Darius. He he takes a little side adventure. And there's also some some interactions between Ern and Van, which I know we've been wondering a lot about. But let's start mm-hmm. off with the fashion piece of it. Right there. There was a lot that went down in this episode with that particular storyline. What were your thoughts on just how that all unfolded? Because, again, I think that this this reflects a lot of what's happened in real life. I think it spoke a lot to what social justice means, especially for, like, black people who participate mm-hmm. in that stuff, who are activists, and, and they're actively working on these different issues, and they're, they're, they're asked to contribute to these different conversations. What right. were your thoughts on just all, all the commentary that they were sort of utilizing um, with that particular storyline? Yeah, man. First and foremost, I think about you know what it means for i think black people one to um you know fight for the liberation of us or fight for helping ourselves by way of white dollars um in 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 what that looks like where there you have i think there i know it sounds very black and white and there's there are two type of people but it's kind of how it is in in real life too there's the, there's like the black person who's like I'm doing all of this for myself in terms of, you know, um, again, I'm just kind of talking about that panel of people they're having, right? Kind of like brainstorming <laughs> how we can make this as black as possible, I guess, or, you know, fix all this, uh, fix this controversy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the there, there are two people in the room. There's the paper boy and there was everybody else. And, and there's one black person where uh, there, there's the black person that wants to do what they can for themselves. There were people in there asking for black. Everybody asking for Black Panther two tickets. Oh my god! Um, everybody wanted a Black Panther two premiere ticket, uh, but also people was asking for money and clothes and off white Nikes. Uh, <laughs> off white Nike. I mean, it was it was it was crazy. But then there's Paperboy who's like, but we have this platform to fix, um, or that that now we can use to help fix, uh, you know, the black. Put, put and reinvest money into your hood. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. What it was. Yep. And 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 I I really do feel like that exists in the real world too, where there are pe- those two kinds of white people who are really like, shoot, skip whatever you know. I, I may have this platform, but I don't care about that. You know, we've we've constantly um, given criticisms to to famous black people in those positions who have never cared about black people, or you know, feel like they have never cared about black people. Um, and the the most interesting thing that came out of that whole thing was the end, right? Where uh, uh, one the commercial goes through, and it's a terrible commercial. Yeah. And one of the other people that's kind of part of this committee comes up to Paperboy and is like, "Well, of course they were never going to take you know this and, and make it super pro black because why would you take money out of the, why would this company take money out of its own pockets <laughs> and give it to its own its own competitor?" And that was like. It, I love that moment because it rung the bell for me too. It was like there's it's one thing to be um, um, a proponent again of black people in the midst of whiteness and capitalism, and it's one thing to be for us by us. And I think that for us by us piece is so important because he's like, well, if you take from these white people and then give to your hood and to the black people, then it is redistribution of wealth in that way again by way of white dollars. And so I, I just thought that was super interesting, especially because TJ was in that commercial, the the character we've seen from what was that episode two, episode three? Yeah. That that your character was was in that commercial. And so it was like, you know, we were kind of talking about how he was 
quote unquote scamming this white dude. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, that's kind of what they're doing, just on a bigger scale. Like, yeah. TJ's like one example of this, but now it's like a committee of people doing this exact same thing. The difference is, I'm not, I don't think TJ is like redistributing his money or anything. You know what I mean? But it, it, it really is kind of the same concept of like, shoot, if if they're giving us this money to do this. Uh, where where do I draw the line as a as a black man as a black person to either redistribute this wealth into my own community or keep it for myself and I think that's that's a very interesting conversation to have and that that's what I got like the most I think out of that entire section was like wow that's that's some real stuff yeah because even earlier paperboy was kind of on the same type of time it, it, it took that conversation with urn when he was getting fitted for the for the outfit that he was going to wear at the press conference for urn to say like oh well you know i would i would i would join this committee and learn the infrastructure and then go off and leave and create my own so that they could benefit black people blase 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 and paperboy is like uh well you know what martin luther king was on that same type of time and what did they do they kill him he said say it with me that was a funny <laughs> moment but you know i think uh Paperboy, he had a little bit of a shift. He tried that method on that on that panel, on that, you know, diversity advisory committee or whatever it was. And we saw how that that whole thing went. But even like earlier when he met Khalil, who was also on that press conference with him and the way Khalil is just so nonchalantly saying these things like he's been around the block. He's been doing this for probably years at this point. He says, oh, is this your first time apologizing for white people? The dinners are amazing. I haven't paid for a meal in 73 police shootings. And when you hear it, it's like, whoa, what the what, what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. that that sounds so bad. But then the flip side of it, I think. I think ultimately this episode kind of paints a little bit of a morality, a gray area with morality, because yeah. is it the is it the worst idea to have that exactly. mentality to just get get what you need, mm-hmm. take everything you want out of it? Because as you mentioned with the commercial, when it actually went through and they looked and said, like, did you actually think we were going to put, you know, real money behind this and that it was going to be what you what you initially envisioned? I mean, I think it kind of speaks to that conversation uh, of whether or not we should expect this capitalistic society to be a part of that liberation like is that a real is that a realistic expectation probably Mm -hmm. not can the can the liberation of black people exist within a capitalistic society probably not if we're being real with ourselves (laughs) so why are we depending on these companies or why Mm -hmm. why do we even think that we can leverage and utilize these companies to do something better i think that there's incremental stuff that you can do i think that there's certainly Mm -hmm. steps that can be taken it's not it's not a black or white situation where it's like either or but how far can it truly go? And I think a lot exactly. of these people, even though it's kind of it's presented as like a complete satire, like that whole conversation about the off-white Nikes and the Black Panther two premiere, like it, it's supposed to be satirical, but it is like still trying to convey a point where it's like these these folks have like all gone through this, and so now they're at the point where it's like, well, I'm just gonna get what I can. I'm gonna get these first class business tickets and take this trip or do whatever I need to do. So all these people are really they 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 know what they want to achieve at this point. Um, but Al, he's he's tried to shift his perspective and actually like get people to help black people and profess Earn's ideas. But it resulted in a, a really diluted commercial for them, um, which was just terrible. The other big thing that happened in this episode, which is sort of a subplot, was Darius. It was it was a small moment, but he went on the side adventure um, with with this lady who was working with the fashion brand. He wanted to find this traditional Nigerian uh, West African dish called Jolof. And he heard about a place that was supposed to be really legendary in the community. So he took her to it. They go, they eat. She's very impressed. She thinks the food's really great. She sort of, she sort of rever, rever, 
referential to the whole process like she's very just amazed by everything because Darius has that conversation with the with the hostess and they're talking about his lineage and where he comes from and then we see like towards the end of the episode this white lady has bought the place with her husband and turned it into like a food truck oh so it's I mean it's 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 complete gentrification on every level. Like she literally walks into a place and then 10 minutes later within the same episode, we see that it's turned into like a food truck at this point. And it's, it's also, it's taken something that's like been traditional and had a legacy Mm -hmm. and been established and it turned it into something that's just fast and modern and convenient. You know, I think it's just so interesting how it pivoted so hard because of this new ownership that came in. But uh, what'd you just think about that whole, you know, subplot that they had with Darius this time? Man, I it's the subplot of this episode that hurt the most because I feel like I was with Darius the whole time. Like I feel like I was just like, oh, you want to try some jollive? You know what I mean? And she like, it's like very, again, very kind of like innocent idea of just trying to introduce somebody else to something. Um, and then it's just like the gentrification of it all. And, you know, we always think gentrification is just just this one thing when it comes to housing and stuff. But it's like, no, white people can gentrify pretty much anything that they put their money to. (laughs) And that's literally, you know, what what, what ends up happening. And and, and it really sucks because I've talked about this before, but black people, we're we're the least gatekeeping, I feel like, group in the world. I always feel like no matter what a different, you know, group or race does to us, we're always... Um, not always, but for the most part, we're very welcoming, right? We mm-hmm. we will invite the the white friend to the barbecue, and you know, and it'll be all right. And I feel like Darius was kind of doing that here, and 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 it allowed for that for that trust kind of to get, um, yeah, to get broken, um, in, in kind of that way. I trusted you to come into this space, and for me to show you something. And then for her to just turn around and buy up the this, this space to try to make profit off of it. It's, just, it's literally proof in, in, in this idea that uh, really this whole freaking um, season talks about that capitalism is whiteness. Like it's, it's literally yeah. hand in hand. It is the same thing because she, she literally goes into, again, this, this very much Nigerian space. And, and, and takes the profits for herself and buys up the place, and it's just like, and it, and it was was even more wild about it. She did in like a day, <laughs> like I oh, feel like yeah. we blinked and it was a truck outside, and I was like, um, first of all, how'd you do this this fast? But yeah. but also how how did you even? She didn't even think twice, you know. She she never thought about Mimi in in her jaw of rice, you know what I mean? She's over here like, okay, this I like this food. This is good. I can profit off of this. I'm going to buy it and make it my own. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how she can think like that. And a lot of black people just can't. Like, we just don't think like that. And that it's, it's, it's just a difference in culture um, when it comes to, to the way I think um, we tackle ways to make money, um, yeah. especially by ways of theft. She literally stole an entire business. Like black people, we like we don't do that. <laughs> like we come, we come up with our own ideas. And and again, it's just uh, just another example of how um, um, whiteness again can leech off the blacks of blackness. Which again, it, it's starting to feel like that. That's another theme here. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with socks yet, but it just you know what I mean. It just it just kind of feels like that's that's kind of what's going on. Well, here's what's interesting for me, because I, I agree with everything you said, but what I think is kind of peculiar is what's left unsaid or at least unseen in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong, but from what I remember, she said that 
once the place was bought up, they didn't really hear from the owner, which, you know, that was the person that Darius had talked to earlier right. in the episode. And so I wonder, okay, well, if this white lady came and made an offer to buy up this this establishment and turn it into a food truck instead, well, the offer had to be accepted. It could it, They couldn't right. just, you know, barge in and just take over the spot. It wouldn't work that way. The offer had to be accepted. Mm-hmm. How much... How much influence or how much say did these Nigerian owners have in that? Now, if they had all the say, if that was completely left up to their decision and they took the money and left, that becomes really interesting conversation because I think it goes back to even the other piece of this episode in which we're talking about the paperboy situation with the fashion brand and these these black diversity activists that sit on this committee where they don't really care about the idea of taking knowledge or taking resources and redistributing back into the black community they're about getting what they think is coming to them and just going along with it and that's it Mm -hmm. could this be the same situation with this nigerian restaurant could they have just taken the money and said well well we we got a great payout Mm -hmm. she wants to take it and turn it to this food truck so be it we're out of here we're gone and that i don't remember that being explicitly said in the episode but i found that interesting i mean i again i agree with everything you said about I mean, she just she had no qualms about it. She comes into this restaurant, she sees an opportunity, and she becomes an opportunist. And I think that mm-hmm. that's really what this episode is about. It's about cultural opportunity, right. opportunists, really on both sides. If we're thinking mm-hmm. about it, you know, in that True. in that type of way, and what that looks like, respectively. Yeah. Um, but the, again, it's that that morality of it. It's like, well, how wrong is it if that if the, if those Nigerian owners were just one hundred percent fine with it? It looks bad, like the way that they presented it, because Darius <laughs> yeah. is like emotionally hurt by it and that's who we care about he's obviously upset upset by it but the logistical nature of it how bad is it really if they just decided to take the money and say oh well you know less work Mm -hmm. we have to do they paid us great dollars for it we'll go and do something elsewhere so i wondered about that i kind of i kind of i kind of had thoughts you know and thinking about that lingering you know sort of after Mm -hmm. the episode um but i guess we should mention the other big piece of it was this interaction between Ern and van it wasn't much but we did get some 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 progressive steps between these two. It started off mm-hmm. with this incident that actually happened. Van is inside this hotel. Earn just you know just so happens to run into her. He hasn't seen her in like weeks. I think it's been like six weeks or something like that. He hasn't seen her. Um and and they're talking in this in this hotel lobby, and a white woman marches in and accuses Van of shoplifting, and she actually like attempts to restrain her so that she can have Van arrested for this accusation of shoplifting and it actually calls back to a real life incident that happened a couple of years ago actually at the Arlo Hotel here in Soho in Manhattan um, where this white lady accused this black teenager of stealing her cell phone. I don't know if folks remember that but it went viral on the internet. Mm -hmm. She was inside this establishment. She accused them of stealing her cell phone. Turns out the cell phone was left in an Uber. They found that out shortly after and so there was a lawsuit that was presented um, on behalf of of the family of this black teenager that was leveled against the Arlo Hotel and this this white woman. Um, And I think it's still like in the process of like undergoing, I don't, I don't really know what would happen with that entire situation, but um, this is kind of calling back to that. And you get that, you get that whole moment and earn sort of able to, to, to leverage that situation into getting like a free night at the hotel because the manager, or at least the person that was, you know, at the lobby checking people in, he was black. Um, And he probably was the manager or the owner of the hotel. We don't really know, but he was able to give them a free night and, escort the lady off you know and basically say like you know we're really sorry about that whole situation so Ern's able to leverage that to to, to to benefit him and van 
And then they end up staying, you know, um, together for that night. And we're, we're left to insinuate and think that they've, they've had like a romantic evening. They probably had sex. We don't really know. But by the mm-hmm. next morning, she's gone. He's in bed alone. Calling back to the earlier episode we saw in the season where he just wakes up alone. Nobody's there with him. Um, and so there was a lot that happened between them two. And I think it's kind of points. It points, you know, a few more fingers at where they may go for the rest of the season. I feel like I feel like by the end of it, this is just setting up a bigger potential conversation that's probably going to happen between Ern and Van. Like this is going to probably set up like a conversation that we've been wanting to see happen about what they are and where they are with their relationship, but we mm-hmm. just haven't gotten it yet. But I think this is kind of setting up those, those building blocks for that, to, that to occur later in the season. Yeah. It's one thing I've been, I've been kind of thinking about is um, how Ern just keeps ending up in this bed and waking up kind of, in these weird situations or alone and how, you know, Darius and Van keep bringing up this simulation thing. It's like, man, what if this whole thing was a dream? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that'd be crazy, but just it, it, we, we're, we're still seeing Van in kind of, again, just this, this light that we hadn't ever seen her in. She's still kind of in this weird phase of just not caring about much of anything. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm still really wondering what well one i'm I'm wondering if if they'll give us a, a van focused episode soon we only got four left um but her and darius are still kind of getting a short end of the stick <laughs> that we kind of yeah. you know talked about before it's like all right we need some more van we need some more darius where the, where they're you know kind of their episodes um but it's it's very interesting thing to kind of uh to kind of think about is what is going on with this woman man um she shows up and her and Ern have these moments and this this night in a hotel that they didn't have to pay for, and then she's just gone. Like, it, is she? I don't know, man. Is she still? Is she just in the floater club? Like, she just doesn't care about anything anymore. Is she ever going to want to go back home to her child? Is mm. this a is this a lost daughter situation? Like, I'm just trying to figure out <laughs> what Van is is really you know what is her goals here? Um, and the the thing that's so interesting though is that still Ern is just in such a different spot than he has been. We talk about the notoriety of Paperboy. Of course, I still don't think he's an A-list celebrity. He ain't Jay-Z out here. But he's he he's not he ain't on SoundCloud no more. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. my boy is out here on an international tour. And so that does also mean something for Ern by way of, you know, it it also sounded like Van was kind of telling things to Ern that he needed to hear where she's like you worry about everything and and that also makes me think like what if that feels like a dream sequence you know kind of type thing where it's like man maybe he did need to hear that i don't know it's it's all really weird kind of feeling right now i actually love the tension i think zazie beats is doing amazing work here too it's like yeah it's just she's just playing it really well um because she's very much aloof and in 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 floaty here um but it works uh by way of mystery of what she has going on in her head so yeah i don't i really don't have much because it's just so so many questions it's very mysterious and as you said we we still haven't seen much of her this season it, I, that, that's why i think that the, something feels impending because they've 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 made commentary about the underdevelopment of her character like they've mm-hmm. they've explicitly pointed out that fact which we've talked about on this show but we still haven't actually gotten the payoff of what that's supposed to look like or mm. what they intend to do about that as being, you know, one of the criticisms leveled against this show. 
And so I think that this is this is sort of the impending doom that's going to exist where it's either going to be a, a, an episode focused on her um, and give her a lot of that that time that we sort of need as an audience. Or, you know, there might even be just like a, an actual conversation between her and Earn that happens that really sheds a lot of light on her position and what she's been thinking and how she's been feeling, because we're, 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 we're just as confused as he is at this moment. Um, and then to just circle back to the the accusation of her stealing something. We're also left to believe that she might have actually shoplifted. Like, yeah, <laughs> she true. doesn't she doesn't ever deny that she didn't take what she was accused of taking. We're kind of left to believe that. So that that actually flips that real life situation on its head where that black teenager from the Arlo Hotel, he did not steal her phone. It was in an Uber. But here it's it's unclear We're we're not really given an answer. Which again, I think circles back to the bigger, the bigger themes of this episode when we talk about capitalism and and the morality of taking, you know, what you want versus you know giving it back or redistributing mm-hmm. or whatever that might mean. Like maybe, maybe she did take this shit, which theoretically is wrong. But right. then also, this woman accusing her outrightly kind of also looks wrong because then it feels like racial profiling, right? Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's yeah. it's tough. It's one of those tough <laughs> conversations, and that that you know that is kind of the brilliance of of this series. You know, the fact that they're able to like toy with these questions, not really answer things, leave you to think about it and make up your own mind for yourself. But mm-hmm. a lot to still see. But there there are there. You know, we're more than halfway through. There's four episodes left, so it'll be it'll be very. Um, I'll be very intrigued to just see what what the what the final four is going to do for us. If it'll shed light on a lot of these bigger questions that they've that they sort of posed to us as an audience. But we'll have to see over the next few weeks what that all looks like but those are our thoughts on episodes five and six of atlanta if you've checked out the series lately and caught up with these new episodes definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it let's go ahead and transition to the news of the week we're done with our reviews so we got some news to talk about first up netflix seems like they might be in a whole lot of hot water this past wednesday the company revealed that they lost two hundred thousand subscribers in the first quarter of the year They mostly attributed this to the suspension of service that happened in Russia. Obviously, the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine has impacted many, many things, many, many people's lives. But a lot of a lot of companies have taken a stand against Russia and Netflix actually pulled their service out of Russia as this is happening. So they attributed this loss. But the following day, Netflix's stock price dropped dramatically, 35 percent, which was their biggest their biggest fall since 2004. So. Back in the days when Netflix was still mailing out DVDs to people, you know, who were renting them, that was the last time they had a fall that was that was this dramatic, and uh, the drop ultimately equated to fifty four point three billion dollars that was lost from the company's market capitalization. Jeez. So this is significant. I mean, this is this is the streamer giant. This is a big, big, huge company, um, and you know they they are also possibly estimating that that could fall a further 50%. Like, that might also be in the cards. And so the reason I put this on the list this week is because we don't talk about economics on the show or anything like that or stock prices Mm -hmm. or, you know, Wall Street. But this obviously is about streaming. And one of the bigger conversations that I think we, we sort of circle around a lot on this show when we talk about Disney Plus or Netflix or HBO Max and just the streaming wars and where things are with entertainment and content these days is... How far does this all go? What at what point does streaming does does the streaming bubble pop if it does ever mm. pop, right? Because we've entered into new territory. This is all still relatively brand new, but we also just found out that apparently Netflix spent 30 million dollars on each episode Jeez. of Stranger Things season 4. So if presumably they have 8 episodes, that's 240 million dollars. We're talking, Jeez. you know, big budget big budget, you know, action movie 
type of type of money here. And so um, I'm just kind of curious as, as, as to what this all means, like Netflix and the amount of money that they spend on content versus the return, you know, and then all all these other streamers and the situations that they're in. It's mm. a it's a really interesting state of situation uh, state of things right now with this entire situation and uh, you know, Netflix is kind of the king of the mountain when it comes to the streaming game, but this is this is a pretty significant thing for them. They're they're, they're you know, they're really on the heels of their biggest show coming back, but they've also suffered, you know, one of their you know, most tremendous losses in recent memory over the past week or so here. So I'm just kind of curious. There's a lot of questions flowing in my head, but I'm just, you know, curious to, to hear what you think about this and what you think this might mean for the company, their strategy, yeah. the content that they put out, the amount of money that they spend on their content and just, you know, their whole, their whole strategy moving forward here. Yeah. You know, I know a little bit about the Netflix kind of structure, um, going to things like Afrotech and talking to actual black Netflix employees, kind of how things work in the inside, just like across the board, um, again, in, internally, and Netflix has kind of always operated so, um, I don't know, so, so just not, I don't even know how to, just very unrestrictive. Like there are certain companies that work, there's just so many rules and you can't do this and do that. And Netflix kind of hasn't never had these things when it's come to, I think one, their employees, the way they maybe do decide to spend certain monies on certain projects with certain budgets. And, you know, one thing I do know is, so the, so the way the engineers work is, unless you're like a top senior level kind of engineer, mm-hmm. there are no, you know, low level, um, everybody else is kind of on the same playing field. You're just an engineer. There are no juniors, there are no seniors, there are no, um, yeah, all, all kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I really think they'll take the time to kind of, you know, figure out how to implement some of that stuff. To, to be honest, to cut costs, I think I don't, I'm not sure layoffs are coming per se, but I think they'll try to make it so the people that do come in maybe let's not give them the salary. Maybe they aren't. They are getting overpaid too much, you know. And I, and I think they'll start to do that again, just across the entire company. Maybe I, I, I think Netflix has just been so let's throw money at stuff. That they they'll start to budget. <laughs> like I think they're finally starting to get it now with this with these cuts and again the loss of these Russian subscribers, <laughs> right? That that they're like, okay, how can we actually be smart with our money now? Where where can that go? And so I think structure wise, that's that's what will start to happen. Um, I still very much think content wise, they need these things to happen. Like even how how as much as Stranger Things costs. That's one of their breadwinners, right? Like <laughs> I mean, when it's merch, it's just all kind of stuff across the board when it comes to Stranger Things. So if they do start to cut things like that, will they lose more subscribers, right? Will people go, oh, the quality of this show, of this show isn't good as it was? Maybe the next big show they have, maybe the, maybe just the expectation is lower. Maybe it is a smaller budget show because we know Stranger Things is such a you know crazy budget show. Uh, maybe it's more closer to like Orange is the New Black, which you don't have to have a big budget for a TV show like that, you know, but it, it's still... It's one of their flagships. It's one of the reasons they're here is a, is a TV show like that, that and House of Cards, you know. And so it's like what what I, I think they'll just start to, again, reflect and, and, and think about what this means for um, more future content rather than the content that they have kind of already um, coming out, man. So, uh, shoot, man, who knows? I, I don't know when the streaming bubble pops, if it pops. Just the way the Internet works nowadays, it's like what could possibly be next kind of in a way. And I think... 
we always kind of talk about how even though Netflix was the behemoth, that all these other people uh, in the streaming wars already had a foundation. HBO was HBO before HBO Max. Disney was Disney before Disney Plus. Amazon was Amazon before Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? Like all these people already already had these foundations, and so Netflix, although they it it it, it is somewhat more of their idea. I think they have some catching up to do by way of what the office looks like, right? What those practices of good budgeting <laughs> or, and all those things kind of looks like in order for them to be successful because HBO, Disney, and Amazon have been learned it decades ago. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. It's, it's all very interesting um, when, it, when, when you think about it. But I never thought they'd lose so many subscribers because of Russia. That makes a lot of sense, though, like when, when, when you think about it. But also, it does still feel like a... Uh, a model problem because if you lose that many subscribers i'm not saying you should be like super prepared to lose that many subscribers but that it's not like that's the majority of their fan base you know what i mean and now they have to change all these things it's like no i mean y'all took a hit but y'all shouldn't be like well time to restructure it sounds like the structure wasn't in place in the first place and mm-hmm. so that, that, that they're gonna have to make up a lot of a lot of that um the time that they didn't spend making sure that they had that foundation when it came to to, to operations yeah they're also projecting losing two million more which is that that that's a number to be alarmed at for sure <laughs> right um but mm-hmm. to your point though about the other companies the other examples like the disney the amazons and all of that these are also other companies where streaming is not number one for them they 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 have other verticals disney has theme parks and and merchandise and licensing you know apple is software and hardware you know even even in that example warner media has has had other things they have other verticals to make money so that if something takes a hit that they they could possibly absolve absolve those costs you know they they could they could roll it all together netflix is streaming that's what they they are now they are they are getting into other things like i know the the gaming stuff is is about to really get underway for them so they're exploring other avenues but they they are streaming that that that's their bread and butter um mm-hmm. before i say any more though i do want to preface like i you know i'm not i'm not an econ major i'm not into stocks and stuff like that for real so i don't <laughs> right. i don't i don't plan to sit here and act like an expert but what i what i will say on this is just like a commentary is that you know Netflix right now has like 221 million subscribers. This is a ridiculous number. They're far and away number one, mm-hmm. obviously. But ultimately, when you think about this whole streaming thing, whether it's Netflix or any other company, there's only a finite mm-hmm. number of people that can actually subscribe to these things. Like there's only so many people in the world that have an internet connection mm-hmm. that can be able to subscribe to this stuff. Like Facts. The, the the thought process that anybody can get a billion subscribers to anything I, that sounds kind of crazy like at, at a certain point i do think it actually will i guess like the bubble popping is probably hyperbole but at a certain point this is going to stall out like there won't be any more growth mm-hmm. there won't be a growth strategy to to have because you will have reached everybody that there is available to reach and so i think that for netflix as a company what what seems to be happening here where I think it's alarming, yes, but it, it I don't think it spells the end for them by any stretch. Like they they will continue to right. be who they are and be the behemoth that they are. Mm-hmm. But this might just be a correction in just the things that are happening. It might be a market correction. I know that there was commentary and analysts anal, analysts who said that you know Netflix just might have been overestimated and overvalued to begin with. Like their their value mm-hmm. just might have been placed wow. too high. So this is sort of market correction to get them to actually where they are or where they should be. Um, and then, and then in addition to that, I think they, they are worth so much, right? Like their, their total mark mm-hmm. cap is like 150 billion. So when you lose 50 billion, it's a lot, no doubt about it. Like that 
come on. I mean, I, I can't even comprehend that number. But when you are worth mm-hmm. as much as they are worth, you can probably afford to take those hits and then still be able to pivot your strategy and do something else that 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 gets you back to a more sustainable place. But I think that that's that's what they have to figure out. Kind of to what you were saying, they have to figure out something that's sustainable. They have to figure out a stabilization strategy because growth isn't going to be an option anymore. They have to get things to where you're not spending a ridiculous amount of money on production and then you can retain a certain amount of subscribers. Like what is that sweet spot? Because I truthfully, to be honest, yes, Stranger Things is big, but 30 million an episode is is actually quite ridiculous. Game of Thrones didn't spend that it's much money. Wild. Like yeah. come on. Like what are we really doing here? And like Stranger Things is not bringing in box office money. Like it's bringing in mm-hmm. subscribers maybe and it's bringing in eyeballs, but it's not in theaters. So like what is the return on a, on a, on a spin like that? You know what I'm right. saying? Like what what does that actually look like? And also Netflix, for me personally, I can't speak for anybody else. The subscription price keeps increasing. I pay a lot of money for Netflix every month cuz I got the 4K, however many screens, whatever, you know, it's a lot of money every month. But the quality of the content is decreasing. It's not good stuff that they're putting out. Just if I'm being honest, like the mm-hmm. actual movies movies and TV shows that they put out for what I'm paying it's 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 yeah. off it's really it's really off like there's only a few things that i actually am very impressed by and so i think that they have to reach a certain point as a company to say like okay we're gonna only spend so much money on this amount of content because every year it's been increasing mm-hmm. for like the past five or six years like billions and billions and billions all right well you can spend billions but at what point will you level that off and yeah. and stabilize your actual subscription model because Again, they're not going to get 200 million more subscribers. I just don't see that happening. You know, it's just not mm-hmm. we're not in a place for that. They can get more, but not significantly more. Um, so it, it's interesting to see how this is all playing out. Ultimately, I do think they'll be OK. They'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They'll figure stuff out. They still have enough in the, in the in the tank to really bring people in. They have enough variety in their lineup to bring new people in. But this is probably just a correction, if anything, to get them in a in, in a place where they have to think about all that stuff you brought up, like the structure and how much they spend and just their whole strategy. Mm-hmm. I think that they, like you mentioned, they they just, they really have to start thinking about that right now if they want to be a long term player in all mm-hmm. of this. Whereas these other companies, they do have those other things they can fall back on. They've been doing this stuff. Disney's been doing theme parks and they've been making movies and they've been making TV series. And same thing with a lot of these other companies. Netflix is still relatively young in the game, so they kind of have to flesh a lot of that out. So we'll we'll see what it all looks like. But it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have for sure. Um, and our another. Uh, another news item for this week which is actually a lot more painful um i'm not happy to talk about this at all um spider-man across the spider-verse has been delayed eight months it's gonna come out now in june of 2023 it was initially supposed to come out in october of this year october 2022 if folks will remember just a few weeks ago we did our most anticipated marvel releases of this year and i know spider-verse was very high for both of us it was like number one or number two for both of us now it's not even coming out this year we gotta wait eight more months um why do you think they delayed it? What's the reason for eight full months to push it back at this point? Man, I don't know. I think I think Sony needs this movie to be so good <laughs> mm. that they're just I, that they're just taking their time. Uh, and the way that they animate and have these these crazy animation styles, I really feel like they had a a checkpoint, right? Like last week was like, okay, let's check in. What does this movie look like? And the pieces just weren't there. I really think that's what it is. I think they're taking so much time to making sure this is good. They came to that checkpoint. They were like, well, 
we're going to have to push this back. But, of course, mm. pushing back means so much more, right, than the day you get it done. There's all kind of post-production stuff and marketing and figuring out the actual day that you wanted to come out is also hard, right? Yeah. There's even, I'm sure, somewhere... This movie could have come out in January, but again, the way dates work, there's probably movie studios with crazy dates next year that only they know about and so on and so forth and their plans. And I I, I really think, you know, in my mind, that's kind of what happened, especially after Morbius. They're like, all right, Morbius, we get it. <laughs> we know, we, we know what's, oh, what's happening. It. It. Yeah. They, 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 they're like, we know what this movie is doing and, and, but we have, you have to take care of the things that people see precious and Morbius it sucks but we can kind of look like another direction because nobody cares about Morbius at the same time you know and here it's like you better not mess up no that goddamn Spider-Man like this this movie has become so beloved <laughs> that it's like you mess it up and it all hell's gonna break loose like on your entire like Marvel might call y'all and be like y'all ready to be bought like if it's bad like you know what i mean like <laughs> give it up spider-man is ours give now. it up yeah Let spider-man's ours now and so i really do think it's just one of those weird things just like a lot of other movies are being pushed back though that it's i i really do think they just wanted to take their time and that the more time it it's taking longer than they thought it would to make the complete product that they wanted to make and i really think that's it man i do yeah i don't think that there's inherently anything wrong with this movie in terms of why I got pushed back, I do think it is mm -hmm. to make it as good as it possibly can be. Eight months is significant, and I am a it pessimist. Is. And I'm a little bit dubious about why all of this is happening. Because as you just said, other movies have gotten pushed back. Most notably, the DC lineup of films that we talked about a few weeks ago, they got pushed back. The Flash got pushed back by like eight months. We might not ever see that movie now at this point with Ezra Miller, especially. Oh but The Flash God. got pushed back. Aquaman got pushed back. DC League of Super Pets, Black Adam, pretty much their entire slate got pushed back, right? And then this happens. We also cannot forget that a few months ago, Marvel also pushed all of their stuff back as well mm -hmm, because we know that mm -hmm. they were doing reshoots and visual effects and stuff like that. I suspect that there is a bigger, bigger issue within the industry mm -hmm. as a whole. I don't know this for a fact, but we can't forget that we're still, we're still, you know, sort of coming off of off of COVID. You know, we're in the recovery phase. We're in the get back to normal phase, but COVID has still been a thing. And it, it's really just now starting to truly become like a part of our rearview mirror. But that's severely impacted many industries, including the film industry. They're no exception. And I have a feeling, man, that just uh, with the conversations that I know we've had like off air about this stuff, like what VFX, VFX houses have to go mm -hmm. through and some of the some of the trials and tribulations right. that they deal with animation houses and just like the the, the workload of this stuff mm -hmm. has only increased but the amount of available people and companies that can actually do the work has steadily yeah. decreased so many companies went out of business during the pandemic so many vfs vfx houses specifically went out of business during the pandemic so now mm -hmm. there's only a finite amount of companies that that can actually complete this work which is why truthfully i think that oftentimes when we look at this big budget stuff especially superhero stuff we see visual effects that just don't look that great. They're just not that great because mm -hmm. I think there's time restraints. There's constrictions. There's limitations on how many people can work on a certain type of thing, how much time that they have to really polish it and make it look great. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we might be seeing something similar here with 
across the Spider-Verse where where they just probably just could not feasibly mm-hmm. hit the deadline because there are so many factors that play. Like you said, there's marketing, there's the press runs that they have to do. There's just so many elements that have to be perfectly lined up in order to, to meet a release date that they looked at the schedule and they just probably said, we just cannot, we, there's just no way we're going to make that. It's just going to be impossible. We have to push it back. Again, eight months is significant. That That's... M- Damn near a year, if we're really being honest about it. It's four months shy from a, from a full year of being pushed back. Um, I think that there's just bigger issues at play with the industry as a whole. So I don't I don't think this is going to be the last thing that we see get pushed back. I think more stuff is going to continue to get delayed um, because they're they're still recovering from all of this stuff that we've dealt with with the pandemic. Um, but it'll be interesting to see because 2023 now has three Sony Marvel movies. Craven the Hunter is coming out in January. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is coming out that June, and then Madam Web will come out just, you know, merely a month later, July 7th, 2023, and then Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 2 is going to come out March 29th, 2024, so mm-hmm. Sony has a lot on their plate uh, upcoming soon here, but three movies in one year for that one company, that'll be a first, that'll be really interesting to see, and I think, to your point, like, the, the Across the Spider-Verse seems fine, like, it seems like it'll be fine, because that is, like, so precious. The mm-hmm. other two, Ooh. off of Morbius, what we just dealt with... I don't know. I don't know what that all looks like, but um, you know, it, it'll. I mean, is it is it potentially a good sign that we'll get three projects from them in one year? Is that like something that could maybe work out in their favor? I don't. I don't know how you're feeling about that after this after this movie we just saw, <laughs> but may, maybe maybe it's an opportunity to to you know pivot and and get people get people to feel like they're on the winning side again. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Because you know it's it, they're in such a weird spot, man. Sony's in such a weird spot because it's it's one it is the venom of it all, and it's also the Spider Verse of it all. And technically, on paper, if you really just sat down, they're like three and one now. You know, you're like I mean, if you don't include the Spider Man of it, right? True. You go Sony, yeah. pretty much Sony specifically only. And you and you're like, man. Mm, but the sour taste <laughs> of Morbius is a very is a sour one. one. It's yeah. a bad one. But and then you know we've talked about this. Venom is also very specific and a popular character, and you can lean into the comedy of Venom the way that they do. And you do have a Tom Hardy in it, and it, you know there's just so many other factors that make Venom work. And it, it's just so easy to be worried about a, a, a Craven movie. It really is because. Now they have to convince us not only that Craven is Craven is interesting enough to have his own movie, but that they can pivot from something bad as Morbius and not make the same movie just with a di- different character, you know. And and it, it's it's going to take a lot of convincing. And so, um, uh, me, I am nowhere near convinced. I don't know what the hell they got going on. All, all I care about is Spider Verse or across the Spider Verse at this point. Um, and I don't, I don't know what, what live action is happening. I will say I do like the idea. If they want to be in this superhero game, come out with three movies a year. Like that's, I get that part. Like if you want to do it, you got to go do it. That's what that's what Marvel and DC are trying to do all the time. At least three movies a year, right? And so if you're going to do it, go do it. But you got to come correct. <laughs> and, you know, again, they haven't, they haven't done it yet. Like this, this is not right now. It doesn't look like they need to be here. So um, until they show us that they need and should be here, then I, I, I won't be convinced, man. I don't know what they got going on. So yeah, I, 
We'll see. I don't think it's something that I want or need. I just want Spider-Verse, but if they can convince me otherwise, I guess Craven will have to be it. <laughs> Whatever that means. I, I don't know how they plan to do it with nothing but Spider-Man villains and D-list characters that nobody knows. That, that, right. That, how do you sustain that? It doesn't really make sense. And Yeah, they're 3-1, mm. but that, that one was basically a blowout. That was just yeah, like, that's a blowout. It was bad. That's a complete blowout. Like They just didn't show up to the game. We'll see. Um, in other news on the DC side of things, Batgirl apparently is being considered to give a theatrical run instead of the original plan, which is to release it directly oh, really? on HBO Max. Um, <laughs> we, we've circled this many times in talking yeah. about Batgirl. Uh, we wondered, why not go theatrical with it? You know, Batgirl is, it, it, it's a popular character. She's yes. more known than a lot, of, a lot of other characters who've gotten screen time, big screen time particularly. Um, they have finished filming, if I'm not mistaken. The movie's slated to come out at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. I doubt it. Probably also going to get pushed back like the rest of this shit. But they're considering a theatrical run now um, instead of just HBO Max. Because mostly Warner is owned by new management, as we talked about a lot last week with the DC conversation. Discovery is now in charge of making a lot of these decisions. So instead of going straight to HBO Max, they're considering theatrical. Um, one, I think they should. It's, it's clear as day that from a business perspective, it's going to make more money, period, if it gets a theatrical run. Like, I, it, mm. it doesn't have to make a billion dollars, but if it, if it has a reasonable budget, like if they didn't break the bank, like Netflix, right. they can make a decent amount of money. And so I don't see why not. And, and you, not only can you do that, if you release it 45 days later on HBO Max, like they just mm-hmm. did with the Batman, that could still be a viable strategy. The Batman made great money. It's yeah. sitting at over $750 million worldwide. Apparently it had like 800,000 viewers on its first day of HBO Max. Like, that's really good. It's going to continue to get new people and new new eyeballs on it. So you can do both and be successful. So I I just don't understand the the HBO Max exclusive plan that they were initially considering. And I know they want subscribers. I get it. You know, we're we're talking a lot about that. But I, I I hope they change it. I hope they put it in theaters, even if it is for a shorter run. It doesn't have to be in theaters for five months, for God's sakes, but... Why not? Because I think people will pay money to go see it as long as it's good, as long mm-hmm. as it's a good movie, which is probably going to make the decision for them whether or not they feel like it's a it's a good movie or not. Man, they should be like, if they can put Morbius <laughs> in theaters, and as bad as it is, Morbius made more money than I thought it was going to make. Um, but you could you could say if 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 that happens, DC should be like, well, duh, we're putting Batman in theaters. It's like. Do we not want money? It almost doesn't even make sense for them not to at this point, to be honest. Um, because not only is Batgirl a big character, but even if you don't know Batgirl, the the energy of Bat everything is just up. Yep. Right? So just put it in theaters. It like, almost doesn't even matter. It's like the Batman is doing so well. <laughs> and Batman is such a beloved character. Even if you don't know who Batgirl is, go put it in theaters. And people will show up. Just because of the badness of it all. So you pretty much said it all, man. It doesn't make any sense at this point for them not <laughs> to be in theaters. And I really hope they do. Um, again, because it's like part two is this is a cultural thing. The same way they were talking about putting Blue Beetle on HBO Max. We talked about this before on, a, on our previous episodes. This is a black and Hispanic <laughs> girl that is about to play a superhero. Yep. Throw... Skip bad in it. Throw all the bad stuff out the window just for that. That representation of black girls and Latina girls is going to pull up. 
The same way people pulled up pulled up for Miles Morales. Think about when a live action Miles Morales is going to come. Like this, this that's all they have to do is put in theaters, and I think it'll I, it'll make way more money. I think than they're even anticipating because I don't even think that they're they're even thinking about that on the scale that I'm thinking about it. That the pull that Javicia Leslie could possibly have. Not I said Javicia, but yes, that oh, she could Leslie have. Grace, yeah, Leslie yeah. Grace could possibly mm-hmm. have. I think is just going to be different. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's it's simple at this point. Yeah, I mean, the residual effects that we've seen of just like Batman adjacent media, like Joker made a, a billion dollars. Now it's Joker, for goodness sake. Yeah, it is like, Joker. It's, yeah. it's Joker. So I get it. But that's a great point, though. Like Batman adjacent stuff has usually always performed really, really well, you yeah. know, and they've they've greenlit a lot of other stuff that's been successful. And again, if the movie's good, they'll be kicking themselves if they didn't put it in theaters because that, that'll be more of a moment if it's actually a really good movie that people enjoy. I remember, you know, even when Shang-Chi came out, right? Like, Again, it didn't make all the money in the world. It made mm-hmm. a really respectable, like four hundred and twenty million. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good stuff for a superhero that nobody knew, in but it was also, but it was also a cultural moment, as you like, as you just sort of, you know, pointed out that this could potentially be for them on the other side of things. So yeah, they just need to go ahead and do it. Like, there's no reason not to at this point. Um, and our last news item of the week, we got the official title of the tenth installment in the Fast Saga, Fast X. I guess it's going to be Fast X. I mean, it's 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 X. It's the mm. Roman numeral 10, so they might pronounce it Fast 10, but I feel like they're going to tell us it's Fast X. But that's now the official <laughs> title of the movie. It's now in production. They are filming currently. It's slated to come out next year, May 2023, I believe. Um, and as we talked about recently on the show, they've added new cast members. Jason Momoa, Brie Larson, Daniela Melchior have joined the cast. Charlize Theron is returning. They just posted a photo of her today at production and, and on, on set of location filming. I don't know who else is coming back, though, outside of the main cast. I don't know if John Cena's coming back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been confirmed or not. So maybe a little little mysterious about some of those other cast members. Maybe Jason Statham. There's nothing big confirmed there, but he did have a, a post-credit scene cameo in the last one. Fast X. It's the beginning of the end. Um, <laughs> good title. Obvious title. I don't know. What, 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 what do you make of this title? Fast X. All I can think of is Jason X. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a oh no! What <laughs> a terrible. Co- yeah, but you're right. But Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh. All I can think of, man. Um, first of all, that movie is hilarious. Uh, it it is. It is really funny movie. Um, but man, but it's also proof that like, damn, this is a, this is another one coming out. Like, and everyone's like. <laughs> <laughs> but they got ten of these, right? But what? What, what, what it's funny because what was so funny about Jason X is it was Jason in space, and now we're sitting here with the Fast franchises. It's like we just did that with nine. So like, so where where can we go from here? Like, what's they're telling next? us something. They're telling it's us something. It's going to be like yet. now. It's going to be like the racing multiverse or something wild. I don't know what's about to happen. Um, but man, this is, it's, it's just wild that this movie is even happening. I, I'm only like on the, on the ride here because the, of the memes and because it's so funny at this point that they just keep making them. It's like, yeah, I just have to be here. It's, it's, it's too, it's like, it's still entertaining how it's still going. Um, so, uh, man, I don't know about the title, but, uh, man, it's just now a conglomerate of a bunch of people about to be in this movie that we don't know if anybody's going to have any kind of character arcs or nothing because at the end of the day, they're going to be able to get through it because of family. And so, you know, I, I don't anticipate this movie being 
good or great, but you never know, man, because the fast franchise has done that. They have pivoted and they have come out with good movies. So, um, we'll, we'll be there to watch it regardless, but fast X, I don't know why that's the name. I mean, like you said, they could have just put 10, but the Roman number, maybe, maybe it's not a terrible name. I don't know. We have to see the movie, but like fast 10, I'd need them to pronounce it for me first. Like, is it fast 10 or is it fast X? I don't know, (laughs) but because of the Jason X of it all, I think I'm gonna always call it fast X now. I really think it's Fast X. I like I if it was 10, they would have wrote 10. Uh and if it's Fast <laughs> X, this title sucks. But their titles have always sucked for the most part. Like let's just call it what it is. Like mm-hmm. after Fast 5, Fast 5 is actually really really tight. But after Fast I 5, like the, name. Yeah, yeah. the rest of them are just like that's just lazy. You're just fu- Furious 7. Uh the fate of the furious what? fate of what? the furious yeah what, what, what is title. this now f9 okay fine you know I'll, I'll just go along with it it's not going to be indicative of whether or not the movie is good the movie it's either going to be good or it's not but right. uh it's always hilarious to just talk about any fast and furious related news because i feel like <laughs> it's 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 just it's unintentionally funny to me like yes exactly it's so popular and they make so much money but they're so goofy and it's just it's so weird how we've gotten here like how they're able to get away with this shit like if any other franchise posted like this image that said like whatever x we'd be like what the what like that's your movie and that's what it's called but i think i think we all just see it and we just kind of shrug our shoulders like oh well okay you know it is what it is so i guess literally but with that being said ladies and gentlemen this that's all we got for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we are officially down and out we will be back later this week to talk about moon knight episode five the penultimate easy for me to say the penultimate episode of the marvel studio series will be out later this week so we'll be back later this thursday to break down and recap everything that happens in this episode and then we'll be back next week with a potentially special episode to get ready for doctor strange in the multiverse of madness not going to reveal any details yet we're going to hold that off and keep it a little bit of a surprise but we're going to do something a little bit different for y'all next week so definitely be in tune for that so until then keep it locked with two black nerds we'll see y'all next time yes 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 y'all go see the north man it's pretty cool to see in theaters and it's pretty violent go watch it with that being said y'all we are audi 5000 this is the year of 2022 black nerds and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all when you used to platinum, that gold be bronze Your favorite rappers dressing like Comic-Con These necklaces is different from charm to charm Very drug money from lawn to lawn We learn from the wizards and Papa Ron's Everything don't need to be addressed The pull-ups like a FedEx truck I can send some niggas round there right now 1-800-CALL-MY-BLUFF Wake your ass up where you rest on time like an Amazon truck I can send some niggas round there right now 1-800 call my bluff